Welcome to the Sunday Morning Podcast from Kingdom Faith Church in Worthing. It's a joy to be with you and um, always love doing anything um, with you guys. Uh, you have such a special place in our hearts and uh, we're so thankful for your leadership. Your leadership have been strength to us in times when we've needed it as a church and uh, stood alongside us in times when we needed it as a family. And one thing that the kingdom is, is relationships, amen? And what we discover when we find the kingdom of God is real, genuine relationships. Um, Some relationships, sadly, are no different to ones that you can have in the world where people want you for what you can do, and when you can do no more, they no longer want you. I thank God that the partnership and the love that we have between Kingdom Faith and Family Church is not that. It's a rich, genuine friendship, a co-labouring, a co-passion. And we're just so thankful um, for the strength that you give us in Family Church Portsmouth as we're planting out to the other congregations. You know, we really look to our relationship with you in a very special way and uh, are so thankful for your voice into our world. So praise God. It's a joy to be with you today and uh, to be a part of this time called Harvest that we're excited about. Is anyone excited about the Harvest? Brilliant. Just want to give a huge welcome again and include those who are watching from the other Kingdom Faith congregations, wherever you may be. We love you and we pray this morning that this just as another step into what God's saying to you when we consider the thoughts of harvest. We're living in the promise of harvest, amen? And I love that. We've been listening very closely to the the sound of your leadership, speaking of harvest and the angels being released to help us with harvest and the season that we're in. And we want to be those who are not living behind excuses, amen, but saying, yes, Lord, use our lives for the harvest because, you know, the angels aren't going to bring the harvest in. They're going to help us to bring the harvest in. That we're in a time of mobilising the church, I believe, in a time like we've never seen before. And uh, I've been revisiting my personal responsibility to evangelism. And that's what I want to share on today, is your personal responsibility to evangelism. Whether you're here in Horsham or in one of the other congregations, the reality is every person has a personal responsibility for this thing that we call evangelism. But I think sometimes the word evangelism can scare people and we need to make it a little bit more doable than that. Today my message is going to be very, very simple and it's stuff you already know that you may have forgotten. Amen? Now when we speak about evangelism, we're speaking about being harvesters individually, not just as a group, not just as Um, a church or a body of people but individually we're saying yes Lord we will be harvesters we will be soul winners in this world for you come on we've got to take our responsibility for the harvest the Lord's given us and is giving us amen I love it that the two times that Jesus speaks of harvest he says you know the fields are ripe into the harvest but the laborers are so few We really can't claim that to be our excuse today, can we? When Jesus first used that, the labourers really were few because the church was very young compared to now. 
But today we can't really stand there with good conscience, can we? And say the fields are ripened to the harvest, but the labourers are so few. When we think of the size of the church, the Western church, I think if we were more honest, we'd have to own up and say something like this. The fields are ripened to harvest, but the labourers are lazy, (laughs) distracted, apathetic, non-caring, unpassionate concerning what's on the heart of God. Now, if we can look at it honestly, we can address it in our lives honestly and be mobilised to make a difference. So evangelism is soul winning. It's our individual responsibility to win souls. Now, I've always been an evangelist. From the moment the Lord called me, an evangelist was very much a part of who I was. But what I'm talking about today is not so much the gift or the office of evangelism that we've seen in operation on the stage, but rather the mobilisation of the heart of the church to be soul winners in the world that the Lord has given them. Now, I'm thankful for the charismatic move, but there were some things, some traits that have really cost us more than what we should have, I believe. But, you know, the last 40 years have been interesting, haven't they? And I love it when Pastor Colin was speaking about those just being not the place of promises fulfilled, but we're now coming into the place of promises fulfilled. But, you know, one of the things I don't think was a good result of the charismatic move was it left buildings full of people staring at stages with a few people operating in the gifts on them. That was never the purpose of Ephesians giftings and offices. But the work of the evangelist, if I'm an evangelist today, then my job is actually to equip the saints for works of ministry. That's my job. It's not to just put on crusades or conferences where I say to you, bring the unsaved in your world to this building and leave it to me. Now, I have a personal responsibility to evangelism as well as the office of an evangelist, which is the equipping of the saints. Give me a wave if you're a saint. For the work of the ministry, a part of the work of a ministry is to be busy in soul winning. Not just in the ends of the earth, but more specifically in this time that we're living, in the unique world that God's given me, given you. So I'm an evangelist. I'm going to take my equipping of the saints ministry seriously. But that's not what I've been considering in my heart. I've been considering my life as a person, not as the leader of a church. How effective is my soul winning as a person, not on a stage, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. How effective am I as a soul winner living in this time of harvest for Jesus? And I think these are questions, good questions, that we can all ask ourselves in a non-guilt-driven way. Now, the Lord's called me and you to be witnesses in our world for him. A witness is an interesting thing. It's someone that's witnessed something. Now, if you were driving here today and you saw a traffic accident, you would witness a traffic accident and the police would come and ask you what you've witnessed. What happened? What did you see? What did you experience? When we talk about being soul winners or being witnesses for God in the worlds that he's given us, that's exactly what we're doing. We're not Jehovah's Witnesses. Can somebody say praise God, amen, hallelujah? But we're not standing on street corners offering um, a hope of a lottery of one day being saved. 
But we are witnesses of what Jesus the Christ has done in our lives and is doing in our lives. God doesn't want us to preach to our friends and neighbours. He wants us to bear witness of what we've experienced in meeting Jesus and all the wonderful things He's done and He's doing in our daily life. Amen. Now, we all know the verses, Mark 16, 15, where Jesus says, go into all the world. But I think we need to um, make that more bite-sized chunks for people. But for some people, that's a big old shredded wheat that you can't eat. Especially if you're newly saved. You suddenly open the Bible and it says, go into all the world. I mean, we're talking Asia, Africa, <coughs> Europe, and preach the gospel. How does somebody get started with that? Well, I love what shredded wheat did. They realised that people had trouble consuming big lumps of shredded wheat, so they made bite-sized shreddies <laughs> or, or bite-sized wheaties. And that's what I want to do today, not to water anything down, but to get you doing something rather than dreaming of doing nothing. So it says, go into all the world. Where do we get started with that? How about we all get started, even before we think of Philippines or Asia, the ends of the earth, Europe, our Jerusalems being the local communities. How about our unique worlds? What if today you said, I'm going to take responsibility for the unique world that the Lord has given me and the people in that unique world? Now, again, I'm speaking about our Jerusalem, not as a place in Israel, but as the local world that God is calling not just the church leaders to, but every part of his body to be a witness and a soul winner in. Are you with me? Yeah. Now, our worlds are wonderfully unique, aren't they? We all have different neighbours. We all have different friendships. We all have different people that serve us at the, at the petrol stations that we go to. We all have different people that we rub shoulders with during the week. And sometimes our unique worlds cross and we know people in common. But yet the fact remains, every one of us own a unique world made up of friends, family, acquaintances. What if the Lord's saying, okay, before you think of Asia Minor or, 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 or Africa, how about you say, yes, Lord, I'm going to take responsibility for being a witness of who you are and what you've done in my life in the unique world that you've given me, which is Monday right the way through Sunday. But I'm going to move from being a church attender to being an open display of your goodness in the unique world that you've given me. Okay, so if we go into our unique world, it then says that we've got to preach the gospel. For some people that excites them, for other people that terrifies them. How do I preach the gospel in my unique world? Again, why don't we talk about bearing witness? Go into the unique world that the Lord's given you. This week, you haven't got to wait one day longer and begin to bear witness more passionately than you ever have concerning who Jesus is to you and the effect of being a Jesus follower on your life. Now, another well-known verse, Acts 1 verse 8, it says that you shall receive power 
Now we know we speak of power as dunamis, the, uh, the root word of dynamite. But I'll have another translation that says it simply means force. Isn't that wonderful? All you Star Wars lovers are like, yes, the force. No, I'm talking about not the force of Star Wars, but the force of the Holy Spirit. You shall receive force when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It doesn't say, and you will fall over and tremble or get goosebumps, but you may well do that in the presence of God. But it says the primary purpose for receiving the power or the force of the Holy Spirit is to be witnesses, to bear witness where? In the ends of the earth. No, firstly, in our Jerusalems. So we need to define in our hearts our Jerusalem so that we can be effective witnesses in them. If your Jerusalem is in Israel, you're living in a wrong context because you're not Israeli. Your Jerusalem in this context is Horsham. The areas you live, your neighbours, your friends. But recently when I was praying about this in my life, the Lord said, you're missing someone. I said, well, Lord, I don't think I am. I think Jerusalem is my local world, my, my friends, my relationships. Judea, Samaria to me is, is Europe, it's England, ends of the earth, Asia, Africa. And then I realised that sometimes we overlook people that are very important to see our Jerusalems. And that's our own households. God's always had a plan of household salvation. And in our evangelism, we cannot overlook our households, our mums, our dads, our children, our uncles, our aunties. The Lord's been speaking to me and Gina recently about increasing our belief for the salvation of our extended families. You know, time doesn't allow, but if Gina was to come up and share, she'd share recently how the Lord corrected her. Gina's one of nine uh, children. She came from America. And she's got many nieces and nephews and one of her sisters had eight boys. They've all uh, continued to breed in that manner. Um, there's, there's nephews and nieces everywhere. And we've been watching on Facebook how they've become liberal. They've turned away from the Lord. They're not walking with the Lord. Um, when Gina's mum went to heaven, it suddenly a lot of the children stopped following God in a real way. And the effect of that on the children has been terrible. And recently when Gina was praying, she kind of came to the Lord and said, Lord, I've got room in my heart to believe for salvation and healing and great stuff in my family. That's me and Andy and our children and some of the relationships that are close to us. But I don't really have room in my life to pray for all of his cousins, his nieces, with all their dysfunction. And she was expecting the Lord to say, oh, that's all right, Gina. What the Lord said to her was, then get a bigger house. Increase your boundaries. The Lord would take no excuse. He said, get a bigger house. Increase the boundaries of who are saved in your household. Now, it's interesting. I really believe that God thinks households when it comes to salvation. We don't, we think individuals. But what we need to understand is when God called Andy, he really didn't, he called Elms. But when you look through the Old Testament, the New Testament, households are key. I love that example in 1 John where it says, I love the normality of this, that when Andrew, great name, met Jesus and encountered Jesus, the very first thing that he did 
was go and tell his brother, Simon, and then bring him to Jesus. Now we read that and we say, well, that's a normal thing. He just met Jesus. He should go and get his brother. Do you? Have you? Do we? Lovely pregnant silence there. (laughs) Because we can read it and say, yeah, that's the right thing to do. But do we do that? Have we gone to our family, our cousins, our nieces? Have we knocked recently? Have we gone again to those that God consider our household, believing him and praying for him to bring them in to the kingdom? So that's interesting, isn't it? Even before we look at Jerusalem, our unique world, we can't overlook our own households. I've heard people pray, well, the Lord said to me, if I concentrate on other people's households, he'll send someone to reach mine. What an excuse. What a lame excuse. He may well do that in his grace, but that doesn't take away from us the responsibility for being a witness for Jesus to our own flesh and blood. But then we're called to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Okay, like I said, this is going to be really simple this morning because I don't want to confuse you. I don't want to make this difficult. I want to make it so easy that we'll have just a breakout of salvation by the end of today. Are you up for that? Now, here's my conviction. They may not be your convictions, but they're certainly mine. Lifestyle evangelism, that's people just being witnesses for Christ in their daily worlds, is more effective in our generation than project or meeting-based evangelism. I don't know about years gone by. Boy, there's a wonderful documentary on Netflix if you want to get fired up on Billy Graham's life. If you get a chance to watch that, oh my goodness, it ruined my weekend. I was like, Lord, I should have done more. Just the anointing on that man's life to win souls in a big setting. But also he was a soul winner in his daily life. What I loved about it was it didn't just show Billy Graham, the conference speaker at Madison Square Garden. It showed Billy Graham, the guy that would sit next to anyone on the street and share Christ with them. Now, when we look at evangelism, So often we can look that it's something that happens on a stage, in a building, a project. Now, none of these things are wrong, but are they as effective as they once were? Years ago, when we went out onto the high street, I think it was a lot more effective than what it is now. Now, I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying don't make that your only basis of being a soul winner. Oh, we bring in a guest speaker that went to prison and found Jesus or could kick a ball of wind, caught a football around the field and he got saved. We put on a special meeting, our agenda to see people come and give their life to Christ. None of those things are wrong, but I don't think they're that effective because if they were effective, we'd have a lot more people saved than what we do now. So maybe we need to come back to the model that was always the model, that every person that follows Christ becomes a soul winner a harvester, somebody that sees their unique daily world as a harvest field where God's anointed them to bring people in to the kingdom. Now, street preaching versus God-ordained conversations. Which one do you think is more effective? I think God-ordained conversations are because they normally lead to a person being brought to church and then discipled by the person that brought them. 
to some degree. Now, I want to just own up, I'm guilty. In our high street called Commercial Road in Portsmouth, we have street preachers and some of them are okay. Some of them, I can't understand what they're even saying. But I walk into H&M and come out of Primark to avoid them and I'm a pastor and I'm embarrassed. I'm confessing my sins to you today. But all they seem to be doing is creating a large circle. When actually, if we laid aside our microphones and sat next to people on the bench, it would be a whole lot more British. Come on now, we love the dramatic of let's video ourselves out on the street. But how effective is it? Because I was watching street preachers a little while ago. I've done my fair share of street preaching. I would do it again if the Lord asked me to any time, any place. But I noticed that the people that are just far enough that they're not affected on the benches, they're sitting there waiting for someone like you and me to sit next to them and go, hey, nice day, isn't it? And then ask them a question that could lead them in to a conversation. So I believe a mobilised church, that's people like you and me, equipped and sent to be soul winners in our unique God-given worlds is more effective than group events But this means that we need to be committed to training. We need to be better than we have been at training the body of Christ, the saints, that's you, for works of ministry. Teaching people like you and me how to win souls, not in a religious, freaky, weird, get the children away from him, scary kind of way, but in a way that brings natural conversations to bring an intrigue in the heart of a person to want to be a follower of Jesus. So we need training. That's got two parts to me. People need to know what they believe. Now, I have no fears or concerns concerning kingdom faith that you would not know what you believe regarding salvation. So we can kind of skip over that one. Some churches I may go to, I may say, can we just talk about your gospel? Because I think you've got some bits missing that are really important. But that would never be my concern for anyone in kingdom faith, that you wouldn't understand the truth and the power of a real gospel. Can I hear an amen? So we need to look at actually now training you in the art of communication. Like leadership, communication is one of those things you don't have to stop at the level you're at. You can emerge out of that and be a better communicator as the days go by, especially when you're talking about something that's a relationship. Come on, evangelism isn't talking facts and figures, it's talking about a love relationship. If you come out with me and we eat, It's not long before my beautiful wife or my children creep into the conversation. Why? Because we're in a love relationship. Our walk with the Lord should be just like that. That we suddenly find ourselves in God-ordained conversations and he just appears out of love and relationship. Now, here's a real issue if we're talking about communication being what makes us successful soul winners. It's about how to create normal and effective conversations with people we come in contact with in our daily life. Let's just back up a little bit. 
I'm not against us putting on projects in our churches to win souls. I'm not against street preaching to win souls. I'm not against different initiatives. We have initiatives where we go into our parks. All of those things are brilliant, but they should never be a replacement. Imagine what could happen if every believer suddenly woke up and said, I have a responsibility for this harvest that the Lord says is here. Imagine, oh, you may say that I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. It's about us learning how to have real conversations, effective conversations with our households, the people in what would be called our Jerusalems, our local unique worlds. So what's the biggest hurdle? It's the opening question, isn't it? Isn't it? When you see someone over there, you may know them or not, and you think, I want to let them know how incredible Jesus is, how incredibly he saved me, all that he's done in my life and all he wants to do in their life. I want to bring them into his kingdom today. What's the toughest bit? Isn't it initiating, starting that conversation? Now we're digging in. I'm giving you a bit of an evangelism massage this morning. We're going to go a little bit more deep tissue now. Are you ready for that? All right, I've warmed you up. Now we're going to go a little bit more deep tissue. Nothing undoable, totally doable. So we have a heart to win our households, our Jerusalems, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth to the Lord. The biggest hurdle is our opening question or what we say that leads us in to a good conversation that could produce a salvation. Now, this is where I've been stopping and thinking about my world because I've seen certain initiatives and I like what they're doing, I just don't like their question. Now, you can't have a complaint without having an answer. That's just not right. If you've got a problem with something, you better have an answer for it, right? We've got too many people in church that have got stacks of problems but no answers. Now, historically, it was the question I think that we often use, not that it's a wrong question in certain scenarios, that could have shut us down before we got started. Let me tell you one of the questions. Now, imagine if you've never been to church, you've never heard of Jesus, and then suddenly somebody comes up with you and says this to you. If you're going to die tonight, do you know where you're going? <laughs> or depending on how they've mastered tone, could make that very threatening. Now I'm trying to get you to see this from an unsaved life and this isn't a wrong question, but I don't think it should be the one we use frequently. <laughs> if you die tonight. Now as an evangelist, I look back and I see all the times I had meetings and I asked or I made this statement, if you were to be hit by a truck on the way home, what? <laughs> if you were to be hit by a truck on the way home, it's got to be, you know, if you die tonight, do you know where you're going? Now, I haven't always been a believer and I lived in pub life in a, in a terrible backslidden and slidden stage for eight years of my life. And that was the sort of question you would have heard in pubs that I, I went to. Another question I used to hear was, pick a window, you're leaving. <laughs> I mean, it's the same sort of tone, isn't it? If you die tonight, do you know where you're going? It's quite funny, isn't it? 
I can remember when people used to say, let me pick a window, you're leaving. I used to say, pick another one, I'm coming back. <laughs> Maybe our question has been hostile, rude, too far, too quick. Okay, so that left me with a, a situation that I had to work out in my head. Then what's a better alternative? And I started to pray, Lord, I don't want to go up to people saying, if you die tonight. Now, there's instances the Holy Spirit may prompt me to ask a question in that bluntness. And I'll always respond. But what about me being a soul winner, you being a soul winner in our daily worlds? I started to pray, Lord, show me what I should ask them. And I felt the Lord say, well, I already have. I showed you 2,000 years ago. Can I teach you what I believe is the perfect question for getting into a conversation that could lead somebody to come into the kingdom? And all of you, when I tell you, you're all going to go, we knew that. (laughs) All of you, because I did. We know that. Yeah, but are we using it? Let those who say they know, let them know they don't know as they ought. (laughs) And when I was praying about Because I want to, not as a stage man or an evangelist or a church leader. That's not what I'm talking about. My challenges have been as a person. How can I in the daily world, the unique world that God has given me with my corner shops, my petrol stations, my community centres, the people, how can I be a better soul winner? And I felt the Lord say, well, ask the question I asked. Do you know the question that Jesus asked in his evangelism? Who do man say that I am? What a wonderfully simple question. Who do you think Jesus is? Who do you think Jesus was? What a wonderfully simple question. Let me just read to you from the passage that we're referring to. And we know that we speak in, in Matthew 16, reading in verse 13. When Jesus came to this region, Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say the son of man is? Who do people say I am? And again, like a Google response, it's like some of them just tapped into Google, who's Jesus? Some say you're John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But then Jesus took it to another level. He made it personal. What about you? Who do you say I am? Who do you think I am? Who do you reckon me to be? And of course, Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of a living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you and reveals to him that he's a rock. We get that whole context of that verse. But I started to meditate on this simple question. Who do you think Jesus is? Who do you think Jesus was? So my next thing to do was to take it for a test run. I had a whole new initiative, but it was unproven. So I thought, let me lift the garage door and take this baby out on the highway. And I'm always talking, I love talking to waitresses and waiters because they can't go anywhere because you haven't signed anything yet. I love that. I just love the manipulation of that. And so often they're my experiments for projects like this. And so I started, not just in America, but in England, I started asking certain waitresses and waiters. I said, hey, can I ask you a question? 
you know, I slid in a little bit of um, background there. I said, I'm just working on something and your answer could really help me. Or I just said, can I just ask you a question? Thanks for that. Now, bear in mind, I'd been a good customer. Don't try this if you're just a grumpy person but doesn't tip and you're mean. You make God look bad. Someone needed to share that with you today. But if you've been a good customer, I just started to say, can I ask you a question? And they said, yes, sir, certainly. I said, sometimes I'd ask them, who do you think Jesus is? Or I'd ask them, who do you think Jesus was? What I experienced was so powerful. We got straight to the point. I never up to this point have had an aggressive, violent response. But I've had many different ones. Can I tell you a couple of my test cases? There was one lady, and I think her name was Sandra, and, and, and we were in um, this restaurant in America. And I said, Can I, who do you think Jesus is? And she stopped, and she said something that I've begun to hear a lot. Good question. You always know it's a good question when someone tells you it's a good question. <laughs> and she stopped, and she went, good question. I believe, I believe he died for my sins. I said, well, that's a very wonderful place for us to begin our conversation because we can rule out religion and all that stuff that we would have waded through and maybe got nowhere. So you believe he died for your sins? Yes, I do. And then we started from that point and had an incredible conversation where she was challenged to go home and pray that night. There was another man I met called Dante and I thought, let me have a go at Dante. I could tell by his jewellery he was, he was very new age. And I thought, this will be interesting. So I said, can I ask you a question, Dante? He said, yeah, you certainly can, sir. I said, who, who, who do you think Jesus was? And he said, ah, good question. And he said, and he began to describe him as one that sat with other powers. Again, we were able to get into a conversation about what the issue was, not what it wasn't. He ended coming to the service that night. Now, the good thing was, because again, I want to encourage you, this is where the operation of the gifts are at their best. We want the operation of the gifts on our stages in our conferences. God wants them on the streets through the lives of every believer. And so I said to Dante, I said, okay, what I'm hearing is you were bullied in the third year of school. Was that correct? Because he needed something more. He was this new age guy. I said, you were, was it the third year? How would you know that? I said, well, the Lord that I follow, he's telling me this stuff in my heart because he wants to get your attention. And then I started to give him names of people. And I was like, oh. and we were on a roll. We were on a roll. I was like, the people with me were fairly impressed by my operating in the gifts of the Spirit. I was doing my best to try and give all the glory to the Lord, but some was probably seeping, but God's always got a plan for that. And so I said to him, Jeremy. And he looked at me and said, I don't know any Jeremy's. I went, well, there you go. The others were good, weren't they? And I invited him to church and he came that night with his girlfriend. And do you know what I loved? The Lord's got such a sense of humour. He came into the service where I was preaching. This was in Louisiana. And he taps me on the shoulder. He says, I'm here, Andy. I said, that's brilliant. And, he, and then he said, I mean, no one could hear. I know who Jeremy is. <laughs> I said, who's Jeremy? He said, it's the key music person I listen to that influences my life. 
And I looked up the Jeremy he was listening to, and he was speaking about child death and adults killing themselves. It, it, it was a word in knowledge. You see, if we don't want the glory for moving in the gifts, then we're not scared to have a go. I want to tell you, when you begin to take responsibility as a soul winner in the unique world that the Lord has given you, your Jerusalem, to your household, that's where the gifts of the Spirit flow so wonderfully. I've had other meetings where I was in, I was in Portsmouth. This isn't, doesn't just work in America. I was in Portsmouth about three weeks ago. And um, me and Gina were out with two of our leaders. And uh, this lady was serving us. You know, God wants us to share him to everyone, but sometimes you get a nudge. You know what I mean? Sometimes you just get a nudge. Never ignore the nudge. And I said to this lady, thank you for serving us. That was a beautiful meal. It was a carvery. It was lovely. And I said, um, do, do, have you ever been to church? And that? she said, no. I said, who, who do you say Jesus is? Guess what she said? Good question. <laughs> and she started to share to me. Then all of a sudden I could hear the Holy Spirit and I said, okay, let's talk about three areas of your life. Let's talk about what's going on with your children. There's two of them, right? Um, and let's talk about the breakup with you. And I went and she, a, a jaw dropped. And she said, she, it was ever so funny. She turned to my assistant pastors and went, is he a psychic? <laughs> is, he a, is this guy a psychic or something? I said, well, category or something, but much better than psychic. God's always had a plan. And she's promised me she's coming to church. Come on, imagine what could happen if we took evangelism from the stage to a few people that are doing their best and we dared to, better than what we have up to now, release that anointing on the people. Release soul winning anointing on the people. Set fire to their tails and send them into the harvest in twos. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what Jesus did with the disciples? Don't you love that when, uh, when the big guy Samson tied the tails of the foxes together, lit them and sent them in? That's a picture of what Jesus did. He got his disciples and he sent them out in twos. He lit them with the fire of the Holy Spirit and he sent them into the harvest field. Listen, God is calling us to take responsibility for the harvest that he has initiated and promised is now. He's released the angels to assist us, but not to do all of the work. Don't say three months. Because we do, don't we? Oh yeah, one day, Lord. Don't say three months. The fields are ripe. To harvest, but the labourers are so few. Lord, I'll pray for the labourers. You are the labourers. When you're praying, release labourers. You're actually you're actually praying in some context. Release my life to be a labourer. No one's asking you to go to. 
Tesco's today, get a box, stand on it and preach a two hour message. What God's wanting you to do is to go to your household, to go to your families, to knock where you haven't knocked for a while, to go to your neighbours, to go to those in the unique world that He's given you because it's got, it's got a butterfly effect, you see. If you're reaching your unique world and I'm reaching my unique world, guess what we're doing together? We're reaching the whole world. But we've got to turn from, well, I sit here and watch you do it. Hey, Aunt Betty, are you glad you came? To, no, I'm going to be the voice of God. I'm going to move in the operation of the gifts of the Spirit to reach my Jerusalem. Well, what happens then? Well, in my experience, you end up going to Judea, Samaria, and you end up in the ends of the earth saying, how did I get here? But you see, a lot of the church want the romance of the mission field far away because they can be whoever they want to be. Nobody knows them far away. You can get off the plane, and I used to do it, flick the missionary switch on the plane, come off. You were Reinhard Bonnke, Benny Hinn, Tina Turner. You could be anyone you wanted. You could come off of that plane, anyone you wanted. When I was a little girl. No one knows you. You could come off Tom Jones. I could see that girl was no... No one knows you. You try that in the workplace on Tuesday morning. Tell me how that works out for you. No first in our Jerusalem. So what's the commission today? That we all go ye into our worlds, our unique God-given worlds with the force of the Holy Spirit and the intention of being witnesses to bear witness of what we've experienced. My closing story is of a, an old man that was a street preacher and he'd always get heckled, but he just couldn't stop doing it. And he went out one day and he was preaching about Jesus and what Jesus had done. And this group of young people started to mock him. And one of them shouted at him, how do you know this is true? And he looked back at the young man and said, I was there when it happened. We are bearing witness of things that happened to us. We are not remembering the stories of others. You were there when it was happening, amen. Is this useful today? Hey, maybe you're here today or you're watching from one of the other congregations and you've never given your life to Jesus. That's where it all begins. It's when you turn with just a simple desire and passion and say, God, I need you. God, I need you. Save me. Isn't it interesting that even our salvation prayers have become so complicated you need a book to memorise them? <laughs> Articulate, well performed. God needs none of it. All he needs is the earnest cry of a person's heart. God, I need you. Save me. That includes everything you could learn to say over the next 10 years. He looks to your heart. 
Maybe you're here today and you've never prayed that prayer. Well, be assured of one thing. He's always loved you. Always. And if you dare to pray that prayer here today, wherever you are in the other congregation, that moment is the moment you'll pass from death to life. You'll become a friend of God. You'll be restored in relationship with a God that made you for friendship. Can we close our eyes for a moment? I want you to pray after me this simple prayer. And when I, when I say the simple prayer, I just want you to repeat it after me. Are you ready? God, I need you. Save me. That's it. Keep your eyes closed. That's it. If that came from your heart today and you want to start a journey with the Lord right now, you've never prayed that prayer or maybe you've been away from the Lord and it's time to get stuff straight again, to follow him again, as you know you should. doesn't matter that you've backslidden. The main thing is that you slide back right now, right now. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, or that you're rededicating your life to the Lord today. I want you to do one more thing for me. And it's not biblical that we lift our hands, but it is that we make a confession of some form. And this is a good way of making a confession before heaven and earth. I'm going to ask you when I count to three to lift your hands. And I want you to do it boldly. Why? Because if you won't lift your hand here, you won't lift for him out there. It's got to be a bold step into this glorious relationship. So if you're here today or you're watching over the screens in the other congregations, as I say to three, you've already prayed the prayer. God's heard your prayer. Now we're going to make a confession of lifting our hands after three. One, two, three. God bless you. We've got, just keep your hands up for a moment. One, two, three, four, five, six. Seven, eight, nine. Anybody else? No one's calling anyone a sinner. We're just saying, come on, we're all getting this thing right with God today. We're walking out of his doors on fire for him, sold out for him. There's number 10. Is there a number 11 today? It's going to wait a couple of moments. Maybe those watching on the screen right now, I may not have seen your hand, but your hand's lifted. God bless you. Keep your hand lifted right now. Your pastor's going to follow up on that in a couple of moments. There's one more here. There's one more. Who's that person, that 12th person? Laura, Laura, Laurie. I'm hearing Laura or Laurie. Father, we thank you that you hear the cry of our heart. And in a moment, you make everything right. As far as the east is from the west, so far you remove our transgressions from us. You bring us into your kingdom. Our lives are never the same. Born again, born again. Our lives are born again. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.